You are listening to a message from Mosaic Knox. For more information about our church, visit mosaicknox.org. <clears throat> so some of you uh, were not around when we did this, but just for kicks, uh, this was the first one of the first Zoom meetings that we had um, back almost a year ago. Um, and uh, Lauren Anderson, who's not here, said that she would have fond memories of Zoom. Um, and I have fond memories of it too, but I never want to go back. Um, and uh, I think we can all at some level hope to agree with that statement. It is good to be back in person. Um, since this time last year, I just want you to think about all that has gone on. There have been over 500,000 people who have died in this country because of a foreign agent that has entered into their bodies. COVID-19, almost 3 million deaths worldwide. But people who have lost those loved ones have not even been able to mourn and grieve because they haven't been able to gather in a funeral-like setting to actually do what we do when people die. Gotten sick and been quarantined and isolated from any human contact for significant periods of time. And I know some of you are not physical touch people, but the reality is in grief, the thing we desire the most are people to grieve with us. And that is the one thing that has been taken away from us. Fear and panic were at an all-time high during the early stages of the pandemic. There became a great distrust, a growing distrust of public figures and experts and questions like who is financially benefiting from this and who's right and who's partisan. Thousands and thousands of people lost jobs. Thousands of people lost their businesses. Thousands of people's livelihoods were destroyed. Loneliness spiked. And therefore, suicide rates spiked. Schools massively suffered, and students who needed the in-person interaction were put even farther behind. Then we have Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd mercilessly killed. That sparks a renewed civil rights conversation around the racial tensions in our country that we haven't seen the likes of since the 60s. And some of us are still grappling with the last 400 years of this country. We have the great mask debate where families are divided and churches are divided. Now we're having a great vaccine debate. Should we, get... we have certain conspiracy theories taking over the public conversation. We have one of the more hostile elections that we've had in the last hundred years, and we have only dealt in labels and rhetoric and have lost all sense of de decency and dignity. We have an insurrection in our nation's capital where we see people literally killed under the banner, Jesus saves. And that's just all on a macro scale. Now think about yourself. I mean, what have you realized about the darkness in you? Because there is not just darkness out there in the world, though there is plenty of that, and we have seen that on display, but there is some in here. I mean, how many of us have found ourselves uh, attached to the things that we long to distance ourselves from. Our need to fill time and space and activities with entertainment and the age of digital media. Our addiction, particularly to social media 
And how we cope with those things has surfaced in the times of stress. Our inability to cope with our insecurities and the wounds that we have created and the lies that we have believed. Our past failures that we refuse to be forgiven of. And our fury that comes up through family disagreements, lack of self-control, lack of empathy, lack of understanding, ultimately a lack of the fruit of the Spirit manifesting Himself in our lives. It has been a very terrible year. Now, why do I recap all of that? Because if this year has reminded us of anything, it is that death is real and that it is close. The realities of Good Friday where death is in our face and the realities of Holy Saturday where we sit in the pain and the silence and the unmet expectations of our life. Why do we disappointment? That is why we celebrate Holy Saturday, by the way. It is a reminder to us that there is a life full of unmet expectations and disappointment. And all of us have had to grapple with that at some point this year. And God's great enemy is death in all of its forms. There is nothing more anti-God than death because God is inherently life. He is a life-giving being. So loss and grief and mourning and the pain and the trauma and the brokenness and the epidemic of evil that has violently permeated us and violently permeated our world has been on full display the last 12 months. Which is why every year, at this very moment, we celebrate this very day. The message of Easter is that death has an end date. It has a finality. So I just have two brief points about Easter. And that is this. Easter is about a substitution. Easter is about a substitution. In the scripture, the story of Barabbas is an odd story because it's seemingly an insignificant story. It's brief, and yet all four gospel accounts mention the life of Barabbas. And there are only a handful of people in the scripture that are mentioned in all four of the gospel accounts. So the Spirit must have something for us. Barabbas arrives on the scene in the most climactic moment in human history. From what we can tell, he was characterized as a notorious revolutionary. So he was a man who stirred up violent riots in an attempt to overthrow the Roman Empire, which he went to prison for. He was found guilty of murdering from an insurrection that happened in Jerusalem. And the way the Gospel writers explain Barabbas implies they viewed him more as a crazy lunatic who was an opportunist rather than some heroic freedom fighter who was fighting for Israel's independence. So Barabbas is not a man to be pitied. Rather, he is a villain, an enemy of the state, and one who deserves just punishment. Now, every Passover, which was the time that Jesus was executed, there was a moment that was essentially a Passover pardon. It was an annual act of grace where Roman powers and Jewish council would free a condemned prisoner. So Pilate, who was attempting to play some sort of political chess match, 
wants to hold off another insurrection, wants to appease the Jewish leaders, and wants to keep his own life and his own job, says, I have an idea. Instead of pitting Jesus against some folk hero of the Jewish people, I will pit him against the worst of the worst, the low life. Surely they will want Jesus freed. And Pilate's entire plea to the Jewish people was, I have found no guilt in Jesus of Nazareth. But to the surprise and the shame and the shock of Pilate, they said, no, give us Barabbas. So a trade, a murderer, a plunderer of property and goods for a Jewish carpenter who had healed the sick, given sight to the blind, who had raised the dead, and even had the audacity to do what no man has ever done, who is this who even forgives sins? So Barabbas is freed, and Jesus is chained. Barabbas walks, Jesus hangs. Barabbas gets freedom, Jesus gets buried. Barabbas was pardoned, Jesus was condemned. Barabbas escapes death row, Jesus dies with inmates. And what's interesting here is the name Barabbas. Split the name in two in Aramaic, and it's Bar-Abba. Bar meaning son of, Abba meaning father. In Matthew, some scholars believe his name is actually Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, son of the Father, traded in for Jesus, the son of the Father. One a criminal, the other innocent. One a warrior, the other a servant. One who seeks to overthrow the king, the other the rightful king. One who looks to actually take life and the other looking to lay it down. Here, we have two different Yeshuas. The innocent son of the father gets framed and treated as guilty, and the guilty son of the father gets pardoned and freed. Jesus, the criminal, walks, and Jesus, the innocent carpenter king, dies. Does the story sound familiar yet? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Easter is about a substitution. It is Jesus for us. It is the guilty being pardoned. It is forgiveness unimaginable and love inexpressible. Catherine of Siena was a lay member of the Dominican church in the 1400s who actually had a profound influence on the Catholic church. And she says this, All the nails in the world could not have held Christ to the cross had love not held him there. Yes, it was the state that put Jesus to death. And yes, it was the sovereign will of God. Yes, it was the Jewish powers at B. And yes, it was indeed the power of God. Yes, it was the sin of people who wanted innocent blood shed. And yes, it was our sin too. 
Yes, it was the enemy of God who put God on trial. And yes, it was God who volunteered. The cross is about so many things, but it is about nothing if it's not about love. The most famous scripture in the entire book of the Bible, for God so loved the world. Setting his sights on Jerusalem, God's mission was to save God's image bearers from God's justice by God's grace through God's blood. This is the great exchange, the death of Jesus so that you might have life. God in the place of man, holiness in the place of brokenness. We get his life. Why? Why? There is no other reason except love. Easter is about a substitution. At Advent, we celebrate God with us. At Easter, we celebrate God for us so that now we celebrate God in us. Love is why God came and love is why God died. The supernatural, sacrificial act of the God-man hanging and suffocating between two criminals shows us deep down who God is at the very center of his heart. I just want you to get the picture in your head for a moment. Whatever and whoever you think God is, he is no less than a framed criminal hanging between two inmates on a little mountain crying out from the depths of his gut, Father, forgive them. The heart, the heart of God is displayed on Good Friday. But Easter is more than just a substitution. It is more than just personal. In fact, it is cosmic. Easter is also a resurrection. The surprise of Easter is that God has substituted himself for you in the person of Jesus. That's shocking. But the scope of Easter is much more grander than that. Unfortunately, much of how we think starts with Genesis 3. But the Bible does not start in Genesis 3. It starts in Genesis 1. The story does not start with sin. The story starts with God creating out of love. It was God in a garden walking with his creation, his masterpiece in the cool of the day in perfect intimacy. And then evil breaks in, vile evil, and the punishment of sin is now death. We all die. When Adam and Eve rebelled, the entire system broke. Not only did our intimacy with God break, but we entered into conflict with one another. And now our motivation for relationships can be self-seeking and self-serving. But of course, we have seen more than just relational strife even this year. The ills and the evils that permeate our world, whether it's things deep down in us or things deep down out there. All of it traces back to the garden. Economic discrepancies, racial inequality, sexual sin, abuse, gender injustice, violence, lack of self-control, pride, greed, growing impatience. All of it has a thread that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. But we must be careful 
do not start with Genesis 3 and end in Revelation 20. I think for most of us, we start with sin and we end in judgment. We start in Genesis 3 and we end in Revelation 20. Certainly there is sin. Genesis 3 is in the Bible for a reason. Certainly there is judgment. Revelation 20 is in the Scripture for a reason. But Easter is not some get-out-of-hell-free card. It is so much sweeter. It is the dawn of a new day. It is the moment, the only time in history, where when the tomb opened, the sun did not shine as a light into the tomb, but rather the sun in the tomb shined out into the world. It is the apex. It is the new beginning. Theologians call it the inaugurated eschaton, which is a really fancy word for a new day. Which is why the imagery of what Tori read in John 20 is so vivid. If you look at what John says, he says, And Jesus says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, how ironic and poetic is it that the story that starts in a garden in Genesis 1 actually starts in a garden again in Genesis 20, or sorry, in John 20? How sweet is it that Mary mistakenly, but I believe ironically, thinks Jesus to be the gardener? It's because he is. Where Adam and Eve started and failed in one garden, Jesus has come to have dominion over the land and ultimately to have dominion over sin and death. Right here in another garden, death has been completely undone. Death now has an end date, and Jesus' physical bodily resurrection gives us hope that our physical bodies will too be resurrected. The story is so much greater than us. It involves us. It includes us. And that alone is startling. But it is a story of God redeeming the entire cosmos. Colossians says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. It is the reconciliation and the renewal of the entire world. It is the story of hope where abuse and uncontrolled passions and war and disease and cancer do not have the final say. COVID-19 and racial injustice and marital infidelity and neglect of children will be wiped from the earth because of Jesus. Disabilities will be no more, diabetes will be no more, and death will be no more. There will only be perfect bodies with a perfect God. And we don't live in that perfected city yet, and yet... We see physical hope in our world all the time. I love that we celebrate Easter in the spring because it is the physical reality of things coming back to life. 2020 felt like one long winter, a cold season of loss and grief and lament and suffering. Now, it feels like things are coming back. 
The grass is being mowed. Baseball season is starting. The geese are howling at Edgewood Park. Frosted lemonades are back at Chick-fil-A. Spring is here. Paul calls Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And by first fruits, he says, you know the harvest that God has planned at the end of time, the ancient promise that God is going to restore the entire world back to right? Well, he is the proof of that. Instead of raising everyone at the end of time, God chose to raise one man in the middle of time as proof that he was going to raise those who would call on him at the end. Easter is the mark. Trevin Wax says, because of the earthquake of Easter, the river of death has reversed and is flowing the other way. The sun has pierced through the clouds of winter, and now, for the first time in ages, the ice is melting. Sin and judgment are part of the story, but a story, the story is so much more than that. It is a story about moving from a garden into a city. Our hope is that the story actually ends in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. There is a lingering question that we all ask, and it's actually the question that Sam asked Gandalf in Return of the King in Lord of the Rings. And it is this, is everything sad going to become untrue? Is everything sad going to become untrue? And John's vision in Revelation 21 would say yes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He is not going to blow it up. He is going to redeem it. He is the wounded healer, as Henry Nouwen calls him. The one who, when we see him, will not be, he will be in a perfected state, but he will still have the scars. And so will we. And they will be a reminder of his grace to us. Behold, I am making all things new. The kingdom has broken in, the king has risen, and is currently reigning on his throne with the enemies of evil and Satan and death literally under his feet. And we are here below yearning like Paul describes the creation yearning in Romans 8, like a woman in labor waiting for the birth of a new kingdom, waiting for the arrival of a new city where a generous monarch, a generous monarch will give us everything we have ever wanted, namely 
his presence. And we will reign with him as sons and daughters of the Father and as brothers and sisters of the resurrected King. We will be with him and he will be with us forever. We will be satisfied. He will be glorified. That will be enough. Let's pray. Father, we have so much life in you. And even in the midst of a tumultuous year, we look at the all-satisfying person of Jesus. And we come to you to drink from the fountain of living water. We need you. We need you to break in even more with your Spirit into our community. We need you to break into our own hearts. We desire to follow after you into the dark places of this neighborhood. To bring light and hope and joy and peace where there is depression and distrust and disillusionment and demonic violence happening. Even on our street, even last night. God, would you come and invade this place? We know that this is already yours. And so this is us confessing and submitting it even more to you, confessing and submitting our own hearts even more to the reign and rule of Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. If you want more information about our church, please visit us online at mosaicnox.org.